0: How are you guys? Good, 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 good. So um, as many of you know, we are uh, on a journey exploring this amazing letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that we know as 1 Timothy, the first letter that he would write to Timothy. And he is writing this letter, uh, as we know if you've been around, uh, to instruct Timothy on how he is to instruct the church in Ephesus on what it looks like to follow Jesus well and to make the gospel known in a manner worthy of God and the kingdom of God. So uh, this letter going to Timothy, for Timothy to instruct the church and the church in Ephesus, remember, was a significant church church in this time and day, a very influential church, a, a church that had a span in its voice across uh, a number of churches uh, churches throughout the known world and so uh, you might use the word uh, a powerful church uh, and so Timothy is walking into this this church, this influential and powerful church, uh, with a letter from Paul, an instruction from Paul to come and teach and shape this church now now what makes this letter Particularly interesting is that by definition, this letter has within it, because of the kinds of things that need instruction, some stuff that is going to come across hard. Uh, to the church in Ephesus. Like this was not a letter Timothy received that was like, hey, go tell the church. They're so awesome. And it's so incredible. And they're doing such a great job. And I'm so encouraged. I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing. Timothy's like, I can't wait to read this letter to the church or I can't wait to instruct the church. No, this one, Paul's like, man, there's some hard work to be done in confronting some of the flawed thinking and belief and therefore the flawed action and results of this flawed belief. Timothy, you're going to need to walk in and have some hard conversations with the church. In that culture and that day, much of this letter will have been standing against or uh, perhaps against is not the word, have a completely different view and outcome of what the culture, whether Christian culture or the culture of the day, Greek and Roman culture, would have brought to the table. So this is, this is kind of a hard letter. And, and what a fun thing that this letter, in the very beginning of uh, 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, The the reason for our charge, the purpose of this letter, the purpose of me writing this letter to you to go and instruct the church in Ephesus is what? There was a small whisper uh, we kind of have come a, a long way together and this one should just be like embedded at this point right so now i'm gonna have to embed it for a second voice getting louder as uh, something's happened okay uh, paul writes in timothy early on the the charge the reason we bring this charge is love love like we need to love the church in ephesus well by bringing the stuff to them. And we need to teach the church in Ephesus to love each other well, to love God well, and to love the world well, because if we do not love well and love rightly, then we are not loving. And if we are not loving, then they won't even know we follow Jesus. And we certainly are not bringing to human beings the kingdom of God. We are bringing whatever is our version of what is the best for. People, which is more often than not, at best flawed, at worst, absolutely horrid for them, right? So, yeah, this is this is a hard letter. And and as we entered, and you kind of start there. The purpose of this is love, and you get all excited. You're like, oh, it's gonna be such a nice letter with like love. And then he starts. Okay, so here's what that's gonna look like. And the uh, and the the last part of the letter we've been in has been Paul bringing instruction to Timothy for the church in Ephesus about some things. And some of the things in this letter that uh, would have been for them at that time, sort of uh, cultural confrontations aren't for us. And some of the things that would have been written in this letter that for them would have been a nothing, a passing thought, are for us cultural confrontations. You know why that is? You know why that is? Because cultures constantly change. You whispered it again. I love you guys. But you know, it's, it's okay to say it out loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, change. Just bring it, okay? Cultures change. Cultures are different. We know this. This is not something that we don't know. Uh, right now, geographically, if you ca- uh, travel the globe, how many different cultures are there? A lot. And how different are they? Very different. They have different value systems, different philosophies, different ideologies, different everything. And that's just currently in our historical context on a global level. If you go back through history and you look at every culture through history or every historical context, the cultures are constantly changing. So when you bring something to the table, a philosophy, ideology, a theology, a truth, Uh, whether or not that becomes a confrontation to the culture you're in, who knows, right? Because even though this may not have changed, what's changing all the time? Culture, right? So we are in a culture. And our culture is one version of the thousands of changes that have happened over the years and on a global level. So we should anticipate, just throwing it out there, that if Paul is writing a letter to Timothy to instruct the church on doing some things uh, to love well according to God's kingdom, that there are gonna be some things in this letter that will confront our culture. Not just our culture out side the doors, the, the evil culture, Right? I said that somewhat sarcastically and somewhat truthfully, right? But also our cultural concepts as a church, as, as Christians, as a people. And boy, the letter of 1 Timothy has not disappointed, has it? I mean, just off the bat, right out the gates, uh, almost in passing, he put some things on this list about what is not God's way and the entire reality of sexual identity and, and, and what is love and right and good was already on the table. And we're like, oh, we have to talk about that right away? and he's putting it in a context that does not fit our cultural context and the demands of our culture and certainly does not suggest this is the best way to be loving right so we're already immediately confronted the charge is love so first of all this is going to be hard to talk about with your culture and they're not going to feel loved and we're like oh And then right out of that, he goes right into the church and he's talking about the men in the church and the woman in the church and he's talking about them differently. And we're like, you're not allowed to do that because that's not equal and right. We're the same. And he's like, no, but you're not. And we're like, yes, but we are. And, And we're already now starting to get all bent out of shape like, oh, why is he dealing with them differently? And then he says different things to the different sets of gender. And you're like, that's not allowed. That's not loving. That's not caring. And we're confronted by that. And then it gets worse. He corrects the men for their arguing and wrestling. And he corrects the woman for some things they're doing. And it starts feeling like you're correcting the woman for the wrong things. And you're correcting the men for the wrong things. And and we're bent out of shape. And then he walks into leadership. And he starts redefining leadership because our culture defines leadership by being the boss, the master oversight and not being the servant. And he pulls leadership out of both of those and says, whether you are overseer or master, boss or servant, those are, an, equ- those are a, 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 an, an equal reality and you should lead and be a leader, whichever one you are. And we're like, this, uh, who gets to be which one? And that confronts our culture. <laughs> and every week we walk out of here, and those of us that happen to align with whatever thing is being brought to the table theologically, we're walking out of here like, <laughs> truth on the table. Swallow it. And then the rest of us are walking out of here going, I'm so nervous. Where does this what, what does this mean? I can't say this to anyone. Don't come to my church. <laughs> First Timothy. Now, what Paul does next uh, is in- incredible. It is amazing. And the Spirit of God, as always inspiring Paul, just knows exactly why, how he navigates our hearts and minds because he cares so deeply for us. In fact, what we're about to step into, I think, is going to become uh, my favorite verse of First Timothy when this book is done. Uh, perhaps uh, emerge into one of my favorite verses of all time. Uh, I don't know that for sure. It's not a promise, but I, I feel it inside when I found this verse. I'm like, oh, this is going to become a favorite. And so today we're gonna to deal with what has not been a favorite verse of mine, not because it hasn't been, I just never really thought about it, but now it might become. So turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, and we are going to be in chapter 3 in verse... 14, and that reminds me because I didn't see the 14 very well, so I had to pause and guess and be like, go down. And so last week we started with these because my lovely wife, who for six months has been saying, You miss words, and this is God's word. You should at least see what you're reading, wear the glasses. And so uh, I have stepped into a greater uh, expression of humility and godliness. And I won't get the word of God wrong anymore. So look, verse 14, I can see it so clearly now. Uh, chapter three, verse 14 of the book of First Timothy, we've just come out of some of these hard things we've been dealing with and, and, and we're kind of sitting in that. And And then he says this, I hope to come to you soon but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. We've covered this verse because it ties to the purpose of this letter. And when we were early on in this letter and we encountered the verse that said, the charge, the reason for our charge is love, we also came here. Because Paul kind of splits the purpose of this letter or the full description of the purpose of this letter into these two spaces the big one early on the charge the reason for our charge is love and then this one becoming a little bit more specific why because at the end of the day uh uh, when it comes down to how we're going to live out something that is true it does translate into behaviors does it not and you go "What, what do you mean well when you believe something to be true that belief is going to lead you to behave a certain way. That is the external display of what is internally true. That's why I often say behaviors often betray our beliefs, don't they? Because we say we believe something, we believe we believe something, and then when we behave, we behave in a way that would say, you don't believe that. I love behaviors because they're often a little kind of a beautiful curiosity and thermometer put before me so that when I walk into something and I'm feeling all bent out of shape and anxious about something and something that's going to happen next week and I'm not sure what it's going to be and I'm nervous it's not going to go well and I'm feeling all these big feelings, that's fine. And I also say, God is good how much of the time? All the time. And I'm like, huh, how odd. That this behavior is betraying my belief. Because if I believed that God was good, how much of the time? All the time. Then whatever's about to happen next week is an irrelevancy to the emotional turmoil that is going to be going on inside of me and the way I behave toward all the humans around me while I'm emotionally disrupted. Sorry, that was really, really fast. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Everybody just give a giant hand for the incredible wonder of someone... (laughs) who is willing to dare to try and take their hands and move as fast as my mouth. So (laughs) thank you so much. I am always conscious at the 1117. And again, apologize for the pace of that. Okay, where was I? Behaviors betray our beliefs. So what Paul is gonna do here is he's saying, though the charge, the aim of our charge is love, it's gonna translate into us talking about some things that go on, some things that we need to behave in a certain way. The point of the behaviors isn't the point. The point of the behaviors is if we're going to love rightly out of right belief, it's going to look a certain way. And if it looks another way, it's not going to be out of a right belief place. So uh, what I want to do is make sure, Paul says to Timothy, that I send this letter so that if I'm delayed, I've given you some real clear instruction on how the church should function. Behaviors. And these behaviors are lines in the sand. And so they get hard. I get it. And now Paul writes what I think will become one of my favorite sentences and and verses. Listen to this. So there it is. Purpose is taught to talk some behaviors. We never like to do that because how dare you tell me how I'm supposed to behave. And then he says in verse 16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What a glorious sentence to write right here after the reality of First Timothy so far and all of our little souls are all bent out of shape and undone by how dare God tell us exactly who we are and what we should do, right? All of us. And now he goes, this is Paul. I, I, love, I love when he uses words like this that get bigger. You know, when I as a communicator want to emphasize something, like something feels important to me, I get louder. You say, well, you loud all the time. That's what my wife says anyways. I'm like, yes, but I can get louder still. And I start making up words. I make them bigger and more fun so that your mind doesn't sit in the ordinary nature of a word. But you're like, what is that word? And I'm like, oh, I think I made it up, but it means this. So the, the, the more unique our words become, the bigger they become and the louder we get, the more it sort of draws you in with emphasis to say, this one really matters. Or it's a moment of great curiosity. Like, why well, isn't this true? Or like we feel similarly. So we say it, there's a feeling. This is one of Paul's feeling verses that also emphasizes because he starts using great indeed. I just love that. Who writes like, that? great indeed. We confess, don't we? The mystery of godliness. I don't even know what you mean, but that sounds really big. Uh, when I leave this planet and I have a conversation with Paul about this verse, uh, I, I will ask him, the two things I preached that day, did, did, did you mean both? And I, I think he's gonna say yes. Uh, but both of these certainly apply here in terms of where Paul is going with this verse. One is what he's coming out of and what is one is what he heads into that starts helping us understand what it means that he's saying. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. It starts with this. Okay, so. Uh, Where have we just come from? We've just come through a system that really in every way in this letter defies the cultural norm of how things work. In this system, what was the cultural norm outside of the church? And remember, the church in Ephesus is made up of a bunch of Gentiles as well. And what was their cultural context before they came to know Jesus? Either Greek or Roman sorry sorry we're just sort of in a historical moment here we've been around rome for about 12 years now so when i say we're that is roman okay so roman occupation roman culture and and paul has just unpacked uh, for us how leadership functions in the kingdom of god and he took leadership remember this and he said leadership is actually this way in the kingdom of God. When you are the master and you have strength and you have power, that's oversight, but that doesn't define leadership. You could lead really well, or you could be terrible and not be a leader. And then the other side is servant. And boy, when you are the servant You can be a great leader and lead really well or not, right? So he took leadership and he said, uh, here are the two options on the table in the human construct and neither of these two give you any more uh, glory because glory is not the result of being master versus servant. Did Rome believe any of this? No, Rome believed wholeheartedly that any glory, any power you would gain, uh, any, any well-being would come through strength and power. Strength and power. Uh, strength and power was their big, uh, th- their big thing, right? So the way they called it was strength and honor. I have strength and honor. I bring that to the table and what it equals is glory. And Paul just came and said, strength and honor does not equal glory or vindication or victory in fact wait for it wait for it weakness servitude and humility equals vindication and glory like you all look at me like yeah yeah but that's weird we only don't think it's weird because we've been christians too long Yes, yes, being the servant's the better thing. You don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because the second we get out in the world, we're like, the servant's terrible. It's not a good place. I'm vulnerable. There's some master over me that will abuse their power. Oh, this is terrible. Rome believed that glory came from power and and, and strength. And here Paul just said, in God's kingdom, it's the opposite. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't make any sense. What other cultures believe that it is strength and power that gives you glory? Oh, you shouldn't whisper this one, that's for sure. I mean, our culture doesn't really believe that, does it? Yes, it does. Absolutely. It's deeply embedded. You know what other cultures have believed that? Uh, If you look through history, all of them. All of them, I promise you, come back. All of them, they have different expressions of it. Some of them pretend humility is power and strength and then they use that badly. But all the cultures, it's ultimately the strongest, the most powerful, the one that has the upper hand that is the winner, that gets vindication and glory. And we know on the planet, that's how it works. And Paul just went, but in God's kingdom, it's the opposite. So you should functionally behave with an opposite reality in mind. And all Paul's doing here. I love this. Is He's just pausing for a second. He goes, isn't that weird? (laughs) Like, isn't that weird? Can we just acknowledge that? Look how he even says that. Great indeed. Look now, we confess, don't we? I mean, can we just say it together? Great indeed, we confess. It's like Paul's saying, can we just pause here and just all admit that what I just wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, feels super weird opposed to what makes sense and therefore we should acknowledge that the journey toward making this a reality in our lives is not going to come easy because we have a belief system that stands opposed to the one we were just given because the kingdom of God and its way stands upside down and inside out from the way of this world. And we now are a people who belong to God's kingdom, citizens of God's kingdom and followers of God. And so Paul is saying, if that's who we are, then we should probably start functionally behaving out of the norms that are God's kingdom. The ideologies, the theologies, the uh, the, uh, philosophies that come out of God's kingdom. And he's just acknowledging it's going to get weird. So if you're here and you're nervous that as we travel through the book of First Timothy, multiple things God's going to say are going to cause us to have to have some more difficult conversations with each other and with the world and will often create some awkwardness uh, in the experience, then you should be smiling now and going, oh, I understand why. Because it's weird what God is asking us to do. So then the question really becomes, how do we know that if we do this thing that God tells us to do, that it's not going to turn out weird? Like, you know, it's power and strength that leads to glory. And if if I go with this and I'm like, okay, I'll do weakness and humility. I'll be the servant. What if there's no glory? What if there's no safety? What if that doesn't save me? What if it turns out terribly? I mean, shouldn't you ask that question? I'm just saying. God's just asked us for some big things to rethink the way we function. And that's where Paul now does something unbelievable. We told you as we entered this book that the rhythm of this book is Paul does some instruction and then Paul breaks into a hymn or poem. And who is the hymn or poem about? It's about God, that's right. Specifically, uh, part of the expression of who God is in his triunity, it is about the wonder of Jesus, right? So he breaks into a poem about Jesus. Oh, and then he goes back to writing instruction. And then he gets overwhelmed and he breaks back into poetry or a hymn about Jesus. And then he goes back to instruction. And then he breaks into a hymn and a poem about Jesus. And he goes back to instruction. And we about to enter one of the hymns. And so Paul, right after he says, man, isn't the mystery of godliness just absolutely uh, weird, Right? He now gives us the second part to what I said were two parts of what I think Paul was talking about when he said the mystery of godliness is weird. Part one, it's weird that the kingdom of God's way seems so reversed and therefore doesn't seem like it will work, right? That's the first weird. Here's the second weird, okay? He, who's the he? Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world taken up in glory so he writes his hymn it's like he says man godliness is kind of weird isn't it wow and you know what's equally a mystery equally weird is the one we follow and how it turned out with him and that he even bothered with us. Like the fact that we have the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer, the king of kings, that he came to this planet and became for us a servant and served us to the point of death, paying for our sins, setting us free from the dominion of darkness and hell. That's a glorious mystery. It's a glorious mystery. And godliness, godliness is not something we are stepping into on a guess. I'm guessing that being a servant and with humility, that that's going to lead to glory. I'm not guessing. I have a reason by which I see that and say. What Paul's about to show us, listen to this. If you forget everything else, don't forget this. We, the people of God who have come to know Jesus, we do not follow a philosophy. We do not follow an ideology. We do not follow a theology. We follow a king. We follow a king. Now listen, that sounds like a neat little sentence. You're like, oh, it was so poetic. But let me let me say it again and let me tell you what I mean by it, because it's very important. All of us, me included, What we do as humans is we actually, if we're honest, we attach to an ideology or a philosophy or a theology, an idea, uh, a thought that we agree with. And we find someone who agrees with that, that is in power in some way that we look up to, that has power. And then we attach to that person and we say, I follow that person, right? But we actually don't follow that person. Why not? Because when that person's, ideology or philosophy or theology changes or we discover they already had an ideology philosophy or theology we were unaware of and we don't like it what do we do we stop following them do you know why because we're not following a person we're following an idea and it's an idea we determined ourselves was a good one that we agree with and as long as you agree and hold to the ideologies philosophies and theologies i hold to then we good but if you don't i ain't following you what paul's about to say is remember when you follow a king and you don't follow these things here's how this works whatever you discover is the ideology of jesus his ideas or the philosophy of jesus the way those those play out or the theology of jesus his truth Whatever you find it to be, whatever you discover it is, whether it agrees with your little soul or disagrees with your little soul or messes with your head, we follow a king. So when that king says, this is what's true, we go great. We don't go, I don't, I, I don't like that one. I don't follow a philosophy. I don't follow a theology. I don't follow an ideology. I follow a king. And so what Paul just did is he said, if we're gonna do this, boys and girls in the church then we need to fix our eyes on our king and we need to see what he said and see what he did because he didn't just tell us that humility and servitude leads to glory he showed us and he says is it not the grandest mystery that jesus would have come and embodied a human body, entered a kingdom of darkness, and, and, and emptied himself of his rights and prerogatives to become human and found in human form. Do you have any idea how insane that is? That the creator and sustainer of all things would crawl into this and go, Hi, guy." Literally, John says, the light came into the darkness and the darkness wanted nothing to do with him. He came and he came knowing that the very people he came for would become the people that would stand against him and eventually be the demise of his human story, his death. And he did it because it was in fact that very journey that would save us From hell and darkness. And Paul's like, how grand is that mystery? And then look what he does. Not only did he manifest in the flesh, but then what did he do? What did he do? He was vindicated by the spirit. So he says, his whole life in the flesh was not as master, but as? Servant, say it louder. It's important for our little souls. Servant. He didn't just say, servants are greater than masters. He came as master of all and made himself servant to all. You should pause there and just take that in for a second. And then he says, that way that Jesus did it, what did it lead to? His vindication. He was vindicated by the spirit, risen from the dead. His work for us was in his death and his vindication was in his resurrection and our life forever is in his death and resurrection combined. And then not only was he vindicated, but what does it say? Who got to see this vindication in his glory? The cosmos. (laughs) There was no corner of all of creation that didn't just go, whoa, oh, wow, wow. Wow. Every knee bowed that day and every tongue confessed that day, though they have not yet realized it. <laughs> Sorry, it was just a thought this came to me. <laughs> Sorry, I'd, sometimes I get tickled by the beauty of all this. And then what does it say? Proclaimed among the nations and believed. What he's showing us is this, in this act on Jesus's part to step into servitude on our behalf, which makes him a great leader. He was vindicated. It was seen by the cosmos. And his kingdom is doing what? Being proclaimed. And what's happening as it's being proclaimed? The people are believing. So he's like, is his kingdom expanding? Is it infiltrating the dark places on this planet? Is it and will it through its generations be sustained regardless of whatever culture tries to do whatever it does to it? Yes. And in the end, when it's all said and done, he will have the victory. Just as he said to Peter and his disciples on that little hill where he said, the church I'm building, my people will go and the gates of hell will bend to my power through them and will not prevail. Right. This is the story. And what did Paul just do through his hymn? He said this, I know what I'm telling you is super weird. Doesn't make any sense. Go with the cultural deal. Power, strength, oversight, being the boss. That's the way to do it. But Jesus didn't do it like that at all. He did it the opposite. And in his doing it, he saved us conquered death and sin and hell and darkness and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords to which every knee will bow and every tongue confess should we suggest that perhaps god's way of humility and servitude in leadership leads to glory and victory and then as though to kind of seal the deal in the hymn, he says and then he ascended It's odd because it's not placed chronologically. He sort of ascended and then the proclamation took place. But I love the way Paul writes this little poem because it's almost like he says, that's everything that's happened. And where did we watch him go again? To his place. And what did he say? I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you. It's almost like Paul's saying is, and what is our end game, folks? Total, complete, utter, Life, light, and freedom, victory, vindication in every way. So while you are on this planet and you are a follower of Jesus, the king, not a philosophy, ideology, or theology, but whatever his is, and you belong to his body, then what Paul is saying is this, do it his way. And when his way feels weird and opposed to what makes most sense, smile, And use this, what will become one of my favorite sentences. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Godliness, I'll close with this thought, godliness. Godliness we typically think of as perhaps the synonym to godliness would be holiness, or rightness, right? You're doing what's right. But actually it's not, oddly enough. Yes, holiness and rightness are fruit of godliness, but it's not the synonym. The the real word that means the same is piety or devotion. So when you read the word godliness, it actually talks about piety or devotion. Piety is an amazing word because what piety means is it is reverence. So awe of the one to whom you are looking. And then watch this. It is the devoted fulfillment of obligation. Look what he just did. What look, look what the word piety does or the word godliness. When out of our devotion for someone, we fulfill obligation, behave, then that is godliness. When we behave rightly, because right behaviors are important, But it's not because of devotion. It's because of fear or consequence, whatever. That's not godliness. That's just legalism. And when we are devoted here, but the way we behave opposes what we say we believe, that's not godliness. That's just uh, our behaviors betraying our beliefs. But when we are truly devoted to our king, and out of that devotion, our life is what he says is life, then we have what we call godliness. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That Jesus would have come to serve and not to reign. So that in serving, he might be vindicated, we might be saved. And his kingdom might reign and glory would be his. And he comes to us, his people, and says, So whether you are in oversight, the master, or as servant, lead well. And lead the way I did. Fix your eyes on me. And in devotion to me, live by my way. In my truth, so that you will know my life. And do it because you follow a king, not an idea. Let's pray. God, thank you for your extraordinary love for us. And the way that you are so consistently... Stable and consistently the same. God, for literally thousands of years, we, the human race, in our cultural context and individuality, have shifted back and forth through a thousand iterations of ideology, philosophy, and theology of truth, what it is that we define it to be. And for all of those thousands of years, you have remained exactly the same and we just have the privilege of discovering more deeply each day what it is we do not yet know is your truth so that we can conform to it not because we want to behave rightly so you won't punish us but because we have and are continuing to become so devoted so in love with who you are that whatever is your idea Whatever is your philosophy, whatever is your theology, whatever is your way, whatever is your truth,
1: whatever life
0: it is you lived, God, Spirit of God, make it so that I would live that life, follow that way, live in that truth, whatever I find it to be. And however great the mystery is of it, as it stands upside down and inside out, to the culture in which I find myself. God, may we become a people that are obsessed with you, Jesus, as our King, and just seek to know what you know and live as you live and follow you as children of your kingdom, ambassadors of your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.